All right. Well, this morning we didn't have somebody yell out me as the answer. So last week we did. And that was entertaining to say the least. But yep. Well, are you guys ready to get a little weird this morning? Did any did okay, well. Did any of uh, did any of you happen to read ahead in the book of Ruth to find out what the weirdness is all about? All right, people here don't like spoilers. That's good. That's a good thing. Uh, well, before we jump straight into the weird, we're going to review just a little bit to find out, uh, kind of, and remember where we're at. So we've got Ruth, who's a, a poor widow, um, leaves Moab and comes to Bethlehem, and she just so happens to be working in Boaz's field. And uh, we remember that she just so happens, meaning it was the providence of God. And the providence is when God uses uh, natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural will. And so God led Ruth to just so happen be in Boaz's field. And Boaz just so happened to notice some of her qualities. And just maybe reading into the text maybe a little bit, it looks like on their first date, they connected. It was a good time. Like they talked. He offered more than she needed or she was even expecting. The sparks were flying. He made her laugh. She made him feel special. They, uh, there was no awkward pauses. They finished each other's sandwiches. They got each other's movie references. And, and they both had butterflies, okay? So after the first date, you could say there was a little bit of chemistry going on. But then, nothing. Absolute silence. Boaz didn't even like do a follow-up call or there was no text to make sure the camel ride home went okay and she was there safe. Like nothing. It was just complete silence. He didn't even send her a friend request on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you know that's pain. That's that's rough. And Ruth, she's confused. She's like, did I read too much into that? Like, like did I not really know what was, what was going on? Did I put too much? Did I come on too strong? Or I know what it was. I was working in the field all day, so my stank probably maybe pushed him away a little bit. My hair wasn't nice and all this stuff. But she's like, what? What did I do wrong? I thought that there was this connection. I thought that we had this going on. And Naomi, the always opinionated and not always wise mother-in-law, stepped in and said, Ruth, you need to call that boy, because I like that boy. He's good for you. So you need to call him, and you need to have a DTR. Does anybody know what a DTR is? Define the relationship. You need to call that boy and define the relationship. This is the talk where a couple determines the level of commitment that there is in the relationship. It's are we, are we friends? Are we friends with benefits? Are we maybe a little bit more than just friends? Are we casually dating or are we exclusively dating? And if we are exclusively dating, do we go Facebook official? Like, you know, that's the, that's the decision. And so every relationship hits the point of needing a DTR, a time where you define the relationship. And so I want to show you through the story of Ruth how to navigate that season wisely. So this morning's message is called Navigating the DTR. So would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would truly open up our hearts, help us to just um, do whatever it is you call us to, God. 
and help us to be able to evaluate where we truly are in our relationships and our relationship with you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it jumps right in and Ruth 3, I'm still trying to get the angle of the TV down, so you got to give me a little grace. But it says, one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. In the Greek, that actually means we need to find you a man, okay? That's what it means. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours, and tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Guys, if you need an opening line, that's a good one to use. Last night, I was winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Yeah, if you could use that and pick it, man, props to you. But here's actually what a threshing floor looked like. Basically, what would happen is it would be this area in the field where you would bring all that you harvested, and you would pile it all together, and that was called the threshing floor. Basically, what you would do is you would take all of the grain, and you would throw it up in the air, the grain would come back down and it would separate it from the chaff. And so that's basically what would happen is you would determine the profit. You're trying to figure out what's good, what's not, what you could use. And at the end of the harvest, you've got Boaz and you've got all of their workers and It's a payday party. That's essentially what this is. They're getting together. They're saying, hey, we've worked hard. Let's see how much we earned. This is awesome. And Naomi is thinking, Boaz is going to have a party tonight, celebrating the end of harvest. And she starts to think and strategize just a little bit. And she's like, all right, Ruth, here's what we're going to do. Wash. That is a good first step. You should always wash. Middle school boys, take note of this. You should always wash, okay? But wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. So Naomi is thinking, okay, Ruth, last time the guy saw you, you were a hot mess, okay? It was like your hair was all over the place. You were sweaty. You were out working in the field all day. It was ratty. It was just dirt under your fingernails, all that stuff. I want you to put forth your red carpet self. I want him to see you at your best. Put on some Bethlehem perfume. It was probably called like Jesus Christo because all the good ones have a French name. That's, that's what it is. I don't know. You guys got to pray for me. I don't know. But she's saying, show up looking good, but let him finish eating and drinking, okay? Ladies, pro tip, men are always happier after they've got a full stomach, okay? And so she's saying, hey, let let him eat his chicken wings. It's okay. Let him finish, okay? But you can see the thought process behind this and what all is going into it. She's saying, get all dressed up, get all looking good, wait until he's full and had a couple drinks, and then... Warning, this is where it gets a little bit weird, okay? When he lies down, note the place where he's laying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. I'll do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything that her mother-in-law told her to do. So Boaz, he's going to sleep by the prophets because he doesn't want anybody to come and steal or take anything away from him. And when he's asleep, I want you to sneak over to him, uncover his feet, and lay down, and he'll tell you what to do. And Ruth goes, 
Okay. Parents, have you or would you ever give this advice to one of your daughters? I was expecting a resounding no, not just a... My goodness, the answer is no. Please do not tell your daughters to do this. Okay, you're not going to say, go to the party, wait till he catches a buzz, and then go up next to the bed and say, tell me what to do. You're not going to do that. That is not advice that you are going to give your children. So what in the world was Naomi thinking? What in the world was she thinking? Am I right? What was she thinking? So I went ahead and did a little bit of research and, and reading into this text to try and figure out if Naomi was just insane or what in the world was going on with her thought process in trying to go here. And so there's actually some differing opinions. Go figure. So I'm going to share with you guys a couple different theories that was happening here. So one theory is that when Naomi said to uncover his feet, she was meaning uncover more about him. Go and, go and find out more about his personality and his past and, you know, all of the things in his life and, and, and go and do this and find out more about him and his life story. And in my personal Bible school graduate opinion, I would file that theory in the category of, uh, no. That is probably not at all what it means, okay? Another theory is that Naomi is telling Ruth to be very aggressive, and that when she says to uncover his feet, she's really meaning uncover his midsection. I'm not going to explain that. You can ask your neighbor later if you want to, if you need to. But she's saying, do whatever it takes to get his attention, which this is a theory because it's believed that Naomi was desperate. She's like, he's our guardian redeemer. He's the one who can provide for us. You need to do whatever it takes to get his attention so that way he knows he can do that. So this has a little bit of plausibility to it, but it definitely goes against everything that we have read about Ruth and Boaz up to this point with their character and who they are. So because of that, in my personal Bible school graduate opinion, I would file this theory in the category of, eh, probably not, okay? But the last one, the one that's most ascribed to, is this is Naomi saying, trust God's sovereignty, trust Boaz's integrity, but give the guy a hint, okay? Let him know that you're interested and you're available. He's a man of God. He's a man of standing. He's a man of great character, just put yourself in the right place at the right time, and the right God will bring you the right man. So those are the theories. You can do with them what you will. But Naomi is suggesting for Ruth to be a little bit forward here because this is her potential guardian redeemer. This is the one that can take care of and provide for their family. This is potentially the man who can come in and be the spiritual covering and spiritual protector for their family. And Naomi is looking at Ruth saying, give the guy a hint, help a brother out, like, come on. And, and, and ladies, just sometimes you need to give the guy a hint. I know you wish we could read your minds. It's not possible. I know God works miracles but that's a big miracle, okay? Saying, give the guy a hint. Just give the guy a hint. And let me, let, me, let me tell you a secret here. Most of us men are very insecure. 
And most of you are like, that ain't no secret. I know that. But we'll pretend that it is, okay, just to help us out a little bit. But I think that we can actually see that from Boaz's response. Now, we're going to jump ahead a couple of verses, but it's not going to be giving anything away. But Boaz says, you've not run after the younger men, whether, whether rich or poor. See, he's saying, we'll see, we'll see later on that Boaz was thinking, man, I like this girl, but I'm older. Because usually at that time, people who were landowners, they were a little bit more seasoned in life. And so he's looking at Ruth like she's got all these options and all these young, strong men around her and, and young, rich men and all of these things. I'm kind of the older guy here. I don't know. And so he's feeling a little bit insecure. And he's saying, maybe I'm not good enough. And maybe she's not really going to want me. And so, ladies, sometimes the guy that you want might need a little bit of help seeing that he's the guy that you want. But don't go into his room, uncover his feet, and say, tell me what to do. Don't, don't do that. This is a descriptive text. This is where the Bible is saying this is what happened. It's not a prescriptive text. It's not saying, go and do likewise. So please, if there's anything you take from this message, it should be that. Do not do that. But this is not always the best plan, but I love that it's in the Bible. Because the Bible puts the real stuff in there. Where people don't always get it right. Or where people do maybe some not so smart things. Or maybe people advise others to do not so smart things. But this gives us a truth that we can all connect with and, and remember, that even if you don't always get it right, God can still make it right. As I said last week, there's no marriage too broken. There's no relationship that's, that's too far gone, and there's no sin that's too great for God to handle. And so some of you, your relationship isn't what it should be. Your marriage isn't what it should be. You're not where you should be. Your spouse isn't where they should be. But we serve a redemptive and gracious and loving God. And he can take the broken and he can make it new and beautiful. So that doesn't mean we can do whatever's right in our own eyes and just pray for God to fix it later. But we can have faith that God can restore all things. So let's, let's keep going in the story. Are you ready for maybe a little bit more weird? Some of you are like, it can get weirder than that. Yes, it can, and it does. So it says, when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. And Ruth approached quietly, okay, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. Probably a random woman laying at his feet, okay? He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet, and he said, who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer for our family. Which, just a reminder, what's a guardian redeemer again? It's a relative who had the responsibility and privilege to provide for a family member that was in need. If there was a widow, typically the brother of the deceased husband would have the spiritual responsibility to provide for and protect that widow and her family. And Boaz, he was the potential guardian redeemer, but he's a distant guardian redeemer. He's not first in line or anything like that. He doesn't have the legal obligation or the right to do this 
for Ruth. And so when Ruth is asking him to cover her, scholars believe that she's saying, be my guardian redeemer, be my provider, be my protector, my spiritual covering. So essentially, she's proposing, okay? She's like, dude, marry me already. I'm right here, okay? And, and, and if she isn't proposing, she's at least being very, very forward and encouraging him to be the one to propose. So Boaz, he's in good spirits, had a couple drinks. Ruth is laying by his bed. She grabs the covers and they stay the night together. So did they have sex that night? There's, there's a lot of people that, that believe maybe they did. But I would say no, and I'll show you why in just a second. But before we get to that, I want to look at one of the most important questions and one of the most asked questions that people dating ask when it comes to being too physical. Does anybody want to guess what the question is? How far is too far? Have you ever asked that? Don't raise your hands. It's okay. But they're saying, give me the rules. Let me know what's available. Let me know what's not available. What's on the table? What's off the table? You know, what should I do? Can I, can I sniff her hair? Like, is that okay? Like, how far is too far? That's what people tend to ask. How close can I get to the line? How far is too far? And I just want to give you an answer to that question. Think about it like this. Sin is not a line. It's not how close can I get to the line. Sin is a direction. So if you're heading in the direction of sin, you're no longer headed in the direction of God. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4, live in a way that pleases God. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passions. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. So being blunt with you all, because we can act like we're all adults, at the point that you are not in control of your body, your entire body, I'll let you ask your neighbor if you need some explanation, because I'm not going any further again, but at the point that you're acting in passion and lust, you've gone too far. This means that you need to be honest with yourself and your heart and your intentions. And if you're not able to be honest with yourself about your heart and your intentions, then you're not at a place where you should even be asking this question. Another quick way to look at it is where the verse says to live in holiness and honor. We are to live honorably if we want to glorify God. So would you feel and would you be honored if you told your spouse on your wedding night everything that you had done sexually up until that point? And if you wouldn't, that means you're not living honorably. We should be able to live honorably. So there's the line, if you want to call it a line. There's the direction. We're called to live Honorably, Sex represents the union when two people become one flesh, not to be separated because of the covenant that God established. But before I go on, here's a reminder. No one and no sin and no marriage and no relationship is too far gone for God to restore. 
So if you've already crossed that line, if you've already gone, gone past that point, that doesn't mean you can't make it right with God. So what does Boaz do? I mean, first off, and we'll see in just a little bit, the dude's pumped. He, he's like, oh my goodness, she is interested in me. I mean, look at, like, look at this. He's, he's so excited, but he treats her honorably and he respects her purity. It says, the Lord bless you, my daughter, which I, I really want you to understand this, okay? So Boaz, thinking he's too old and he's like, no, I don't have a shot. She's got all these younger guys and everything. All of a sudden she's laying, laying down at his feet and the dude is all like, the Lord bless you, my daughter. You do want me. Thank you, God, for the sign. Like, that's what he's saying. He's saying, hallelujah, you told me you're interested. That's what he's saying. So he says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. He's saying, hallelujah, she wants me. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. And all of the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. He's saying, I'm going to let them know that you've done the right thing, and I've done the right thing, and we are honoring God. That is why I believe they did not have sex that night. Because why in the world would Boaz, a man of standing, a man of godly character, say, hey, I'm going to tell everybody that you're a woman of noble character, but let's have sex first. Doesn't seem right. But good news, Ruth has more than hinted to Boaz that she's available. She has declared her love for Boaz, and Boaz is like, I'm all in, sign me up, let's go to the courthouse right now and get this thing done. So now they get married and they live happily ever after, right? Well, you would hope, but there's a little obstacle that Boaz has to figure out. Boaz says, although it's true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. So stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I'm doing it. I am all in. I am right here. So stay here until morning until we can get this figured out. He's saying, I'm not legally the closest one. I'm not the one who has the right to do this. There's someone else who has the right to be the guardian redeemer. And we're going to get to that next week into how Boaz kind of works through that. We'll see Boaz work out a plan to kind of overcome this obstacle. And so next week, we're actually going to see the principle that, ladies, if he'll do what it takes to get you, he'll do what it takes to keep you. So that's the principle for next week. But for right now... Let's kind of summarize what we've seen this week. There were four big lessons that we kind of got. And the first one is, it's often wise to put yourself in the right place to increase the odds of meeting the right person. Now, that doesn't mean go and lay at his feet in the middle of the night after he's got a buzz. But this is saying, if you want to meet a godly person, you should probably go where godly people are. It's probably better and more likely for you to meet a godly person at a church or at like a young adult group or at something like that 
than at the kegger, okay? He's saying, use your brain. Go to where godly people are to find godly people, if that's what you're after. Next one. Sometimes you may have to go after what you want. I am so glad that Sherea went after what she wanted, okay? <laughs> I just like making her blush, but, but really, that's, okay, okay, I went after her, all right, I'm just going to clear that up, so I went after what I wanted, mm-hmm, and still went, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get out of the doghouse, come on, <laughs> my goodness, but we see that truth with Ruth and Boaz, but here's the thing, it's not just something that comes to relationships. Sometimes God puts a desire on your heart and he's saying, trust me and step out in faith. So you may already be married and in that relationship. You still need to pursue your spouse, but he may be calling both of you to take a step of faith. And so sometimes you may have to go after what you want to follow God. This next one, it might be for some of you today even if you don't get it right, God can still make it right. Even in your marriage right now, there may be some things that aren't going right. You're not where you should be. Your spouse isn't where they should be. And maybe you, you've built a marriage or a relationship on a foundation that isn't as strong as it could have been. But even if you didn't do it all right, God is a redemptive God. And God is a God who is full of grace, and he is forgiving and loving and so gracious, and he can still make things right. I'm not going to share names or anything like that, but um, I had a couple that came to me, and they said, hey, we want to get married. Can you give us some counseling? And I'm like, okay, you're both older than me. There's more kids in the house than, than, than what I have. You guys have way more life experience than I have. I can help, I can give you a little bit of guidance and wisdom, but there's this other couple that's about 10, 15 years further down the road than where you're at right now. But 15 years ago, they were right where you are. And it didn't start off the best. They didn't always make the best decisions. They did things that were right in their own eyes, not what God was calling them to do. But now, God is using their story as a way to help prepare others. God is redeeming and using this redemptive story of their marriage to help encourage others to learn and grow and to serve each other and love each other. And so if you're here this morning and you're at a point where you're like, I don't know what my marriage looks like. I don't know what's going on, but it seems like divorce might be the only option. If that's where you're at, there's no marriage that is too far gone for God's redemptive peace. So pursue him together. You can't ever outrun God. And finally, if you want a marriage that honors God in the future, live a life that honors God today. Don't wait until later. Be faithful to him today. And here's the thing. If you're single and not ready to mingle and you're like, I'm never getting married. If you want a life that honors God in the future, live a life that honors God today. 
When I was in high school, I would always have that thought, and many of the students had the same thought and have said things like, well, once I get out of high school, I'll do it. I'll start taking my faith more seriously, you know, once I'm done with college or something like that. Like, late, I've got time. I've got time. I can, I can wait until later. If you want to live a life that honors God in the future, live a life that honors God today. Why wait? Why go through all of that heartache and pain when you can trust God and live a life that brings him honor and glory today? So normally, I would share some practical takeaways, a to-do list, if you follow along on, with us on the version app, that's what it's called, is our to-do list. But today, I've got just one thing, just one question, one thing that I want all of us to consider. You see, Boaz, he wants to be Ruth's guardian redeemer, but he was not obligated at all to care for her and to care for Ruth and provide for her in that way because he wasn't the brother to her deceased husband. He wasn't obligated. And she was a Moabite. She was a foreigner. She wasn't even a, a person who was in the family of God. Like she wasn't at all deserving. But because he loved her, He chose to make a sacrifice for her. And because of Ruth's one decision that she made that we saw in week one, where she chose to turn her back to Moab and pursue the God of Bethlehem, because of that one decision, and because of Boaz's one decision to commit to pursue her, to provide for her, to protect her as her guardian redeemer, because of her one decision and his one decision, that led to a covenant of marriage that resulted in a son by the name of Obed. And in the line of Obed, from the lineage of Obed comes our guardian redeemer, Jesus Christ, the son of God. And in the same way, Jesus was not obligated to give his life for you or for me. He chose to be stripped of his heavenly glory and become the sacrificial lamb to pay the price for your sin and for my sin. He chose to do that. And after he gave his life, he didn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead so that anyone, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter the decisions that you've made, the, the sins that are in your life, your past, your present, your future, no matter what, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus your guardian redeemer, my guardian redeemer, his heart is open to you. He has already shown us how much he desperately loves us and wants us. He has shown us by giving his life on the cross, by dying in our place, by taking our sin upon himself. He has shown us, he has demonstrated his love for us. So crossing, it's time for us to have a DTR. It's time for us to define the relationship. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? He's already shown you and saying, hey, I'm here. But how are you going to respond? Is he maybe just a cool historical figure? 
Somebody that's kind of interesting to study and kind of find out about? Is he some guy that you hear about on Sundays and, you know, that's about it? Is he a nobody? Is he a casual friend that you kind of talk to every once in a while when you're having a hard time? Or is he your Lord? Is he your savior? Is he your guardian redeemer? Is he your king? See, I went for a long time with Christ being my acquaintance, not my Lord. And I fear that there's some who are here and and, and even myself sometimes that we're in that position right now because it's really, really easy to miss God by about 18 inches. The difference from your head to your heart. Do you know Jesus in your head he's not in your heart? You know about him in your head, but maybe you don't know him yet in your heart. See, Jesus didn't come to make you religious. He came to have a relationship with you. He didn't come for you to join a church. He came to set you free. He came to give you life and a life to the full, a life of abundance, a life of peace. He even says it in Galatians, where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, a life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He wants us to have an abundant, fruitful life. He wants to know you and for you to know him. The crossing. It's time to call it what it is. It's time for us to be honest with ourselves and ask the question, who is Jesus to me? So, who is he to you? Who is Jesus Christ to you? Take time this morning, take time this week to define the relationship, because Jesus has already displayed and shown how much he loves you, how much he desperately cares for you, and the type of life that he wants for you. How are you going to respond to his display of love? God, would you just be with us? Help us to be honest in our hearts with where we really are with you. And God, if there's anything that is standing in between us and you, I pray that you would help us to just relentlessly tear that thing apart, God. That you would remove these things that we place in our way, that that we place between us and you, and God, that there would be nothing, nothing that we place where you should be on the throne of our heart and in our lives. God, you showed us in the best way possible that you love us, that you care for us, that you desire a relationship with us. Help us to respond to you how you call us to. To admit, God, we can't do this on our own. To admit that because of our sin, we're separated from you, but you paid the price. God, 
Help us to see where we are so we can know what we have to do to get to where you're calling us to be. Thank you so much for loving us, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.